And now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amari. You lost your magic. They knocked you off your game. Your Carlness went right out the window. What's with this Carlness? It's not even a, a real word. It's a conjunction, a preposition. It's a philosophy, a way of life. It's your name with miss attached to it. Bob, listen to me. If you'd have done what I asked you to, to come in my dressing room before the show, you'd have known that you weren't supposed to come out here until I introduced you. Jack, I tried to get into your dressing room, but I didn't have a nickel. I understand you're pretty funny as a DJ. And comedy is a kind of hobby of mine. Well, well, actually, it's a little more than just a hobby. Reader's Digest is considering publishing two of my jokes. Really? Yeah. From Hollywood, it's time now for... Money Dollar. Leave the gun. Take the cannoli. Quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents the best in classic radio. This hour on Hollywood 360, I'll present the conclusion to Father Knows Best, starring Robert Young. Then Edward Arnold stars as Mr. President from 1949. With me, as always, is my co-host, my sidekick, my second banana, my Cato. That's right, Lisa. Lisa Wolf. I'm still here. I've gone nowhere. All right. So okay. uh, what's going on? What's happening in the world of Hollywood? Well, I'm excited about this one. Probably more excited than you will be. Oh, boy. Oh, has boy. something to do with Broadway, it, then. It definitely does. It has Just to do. slightly, but... So this is like the Tony Awards or something? No, not exactly. All right. The film adaptation uh-huh. of Stephen Schwartz's musical Wicked uh-huh. is coming to theaters. All right. So All right? Wicked is the Wizard so, of Oz or something? Okay. Or so it's based on the 1939 film, The Wizard of Oz, right. but it's from the perspective of the witches, uh-huh. which is Alphaba so it's like and from Glinda. Y- so like it's from your Right. Person. I'm the witch and it You're comes right. right through my eyes. Right. Um, I did see the show. You're in- like the witch of the Hollywood 360 crew. I can't attest to that. <laughs> I'll get you, my pretty. Um, something tells and me. And your little dog, too. Yeah, that was good, yeah, Carol. Thanks. That was really good. I could do um, Toto, too. Want to hear? No. Ruff, <laughs> ruff. <laughs> um, yeah, you're okay. I'll I'll take the witch. Okay. I'll be the witch. How about this one? Put them up. Put them up. Huh? That was really no, good too. Not bad. Yeah. All right, I can okay. do Dorothy too. Yeah, but, that's good. All right. Okay. So, <laughs> so um, what I was going to say was now this Broadway show. Before was, I so rudely interrupted before, you. Yeah, I was going to say that I was being nice. It was nominated for ten no- Tony Awards. Uh huh. Won three of them, and it's now in its thirteenth year. Um, right. It's become the tenth longest running Broadway show. I did see it in New York as as well as Chicago. Right. And I did uh, see it. They with allow Chris- you in New York? Can you believe that? It's time to go again with Kristen Chenoweth as Glinda. I. Thought I thought with that felony on your record, they didn't allow you to travel. Oh, yeah. No, they don't know about that. Oh, okay. Yeah, shh. Don't tell anybody. Right. And uh, Adina Menzel was Alphaba. So this was a pretty... Adina spe- Menzel. Yes. Yeah, where do I know that name? John Travolta messed oh, that up right. last year. Uh, yeah. Right. He it was more her, than a year ago, wasn't it? Or whenever it was. He Seems said like, something like, uh, I, I don't remember. Now the incomparable Aduba Badiba. That one, right, exactly. I, I, I won't yeah. mess it up. And what's interesting about this is that Wicked sort of happened backwards. Most start out as a movie first mm-hmm. and then go to a stage musical. Okay. Right? Like, like The Lion King or right. Kinky Boots, that kind of thing. This is backwards. Kinky Boots, what's that? All right. Well, we'll just leave it at that. Okay. Hairspray. These all started out um, yeah. as stage musicals first, but this is going, I mean, as, as movies first, this is going the other way around. Okay. Backwards. I'm not following you, but go ahead. Okay. Well, I'm sure everybody else is. That's mm-hmm. what's important. Mm-hmm. And okay. so is that it? That's it. All right. So, so is the gist of this, this that they're turning this into a movie? 
Is that what this is all about? Turning Wicked it into a movie. Wicked is going to be a movie. All right. Who? Anybody? Any stars? Or well, I don't know yet. Are you They'll... playing the main witch in it? Well, I would love to, and if anybody out there is listening, I would love to audition. I want to play Oz, the great and powerful Oz. You know what I want to play? What? Anything. All right. Okay. Well, thanks, Lisa Wolf. Thanks, Carl. Appreciate that. All right. It's time now for the conclusion to Father Knows Best. We started this last time. The family car is stolen. Robert Young. Here's part two, the conclusion of Father Knows Best. All right, bud, sit down, and I'll get your breakfast. Oh, gosh, you can understand how I feel, can't you, Mom? Yes, dear. It isn't as if I didn't trust him, but look what happened when I bought the pipe cleaner. Pipe cleaners. My own son. You think I was trying to cheat him out of 35 cents. Where did he get the 35 cents in the first place? And look at it. If that isn't the messiest-looking tube of shaving cream, got it all squeezed out of shape. Spend your whole life trying to make things easy for your family. Ye gods. Kathy! Kathy! Hmm? Aren't you out of there yet? I'm brushing my teeth. What? I'm brushing my teeth. You've been in there long enough to grow new ones. <laughs> now come on out. But I have to brush my teeth. You can brush them later. Open the door. Daddy, I have to brush my teeth. If I don't, I'll have to do it afterwards, and then I'll be late for school. I'll take you to school. Just let me get in there. I wasn't late for school even once last year, and this year, if I'm late the very first day... You won't be late, Kathy, I promise you. Now, please, let me get through. Gee whiz, just because I'm the littlest one in the family, everybody thinks I don't have any feelings. And I do. I've got as many feelings as anybody. Fine, I'll tell him when he comes in. You'll tell who? What? Who will you tell when he comes in? When who comes in? I don't know. Well, stop talking about people you don't know. (laughs) May I please shave? He said, I'll tell him when he comes in. And I said, who? And he said... Jim! Ye gods, now what? What is it, Margaret? Betty's on the phone. Well, tell her to hurry up. She wants to talk to you. Oh, my aching back. I'll be right down, Margaret. Kathy, don't ever get married. And if you do get married, don't have any children. And if you do have any children, don't try to shave. Grow a beard. Daddy, is it all right if I brush my teeth now? No, stay out of the bathroom. Gee whiz. Betty, why aren't you back here? You, Father? Of course not. This is Admiral Byrd, and I'm speaking from the South Pole. Where are you? I'm downtown. That's nice. Are you having a good time? Father, the car's been stolen. Well, stop fooling around down there and... It what? It isn't where I left it. There's another car there, and the man at the filling station said he Betty. saw somebody fiddling around with it this morning. Betty. And I guess they found the place under the mat where we hide the keys. Because... Betty. Yes, Father? Go over to the police headquarters. Give them a full description of the car. Make, model, color, license number... Have you got that? I guess so. Tell them I'll be in later in the morning to make a full insurance report. Is that clear? Well, there's only one thing I don't understand. Yes? What am I supposed to do about my breakfast? (laughs) Betty. Yes, Father? Eat it. Oh? Okay. And Betty. Don't worry, Father. I'll take care of everything. Good. Right after breakfast. Betty. Betty. Oh, fine. 
conspiracy, that's what it is. The whole thing is a plot to keep me from getting to Plainfield. Well, that's fine. That's just great. What did Betty want, dear? Is anything wrong? No, everything's wonderful. This time somebody really stole the car, that's all. Oh, Jim. I'm up to my neck in appointments, the busiest time of the whole year. A thing like this has to happen to me. Sure, naturally, they'd have to be busy. They'll probably be busy all day. Who, dear? George Phillips. If I can borrow his car, I can still get to Plainfield in time. But... Jim, I wouldn't count on that. George may need the car himself. Why don't you just call Mr. Butler? Because it took me two months to set up this appointment, and I don't intend to lose it. And if George Phillips can't do a little thing like lend me his car, well, it's just too bad, that's all. All right, dear, I suppose you know best. But! You want me, Dad? Now, whatever gave you that idea? <laughs> you said but. <laughs> and uh, you figured the rest of it out all by yourself. Isn't that wonderful? Now, what did I do? Go across the street and ask Mr. Phillips if I can use his car. What for? <laughs> I've taken a contract to fill in the Grand Canyon, and I want to use the Phillips car for a dump truck. What? Oh, stop asking so many silly questions and do as you're told. But all I said was... Bud, do as your father tells you. Holy cow. <laughs> Ask a perfectly simple question, and everybody jumps down your neck. Get a bunch of double talk about filling in the Grand Canyon. Jim, I don't think you were very nice to Bud. Well, I haven't got time to be nice. I've got to get a car. I've got to get to Plainfield. Margaret. Yes, dear. I'm going upstairs to shave. Will you call Hector Smith and ask if I can borrow his car? I'll have it back at 12 o'clock at the latest. All right. And explain that it's an emergency. Tell him it's uh, practically a matter of life and death. Yes, dear, I'll tell him. Oh, I've never seen a morning like this in my whole life. Everything has to go wrong. I don't even know why I bothered to get out of bed. Hello, Elizabeth? No, oh, no. Kathy, are you in there again? I'll be right out, Daddy. I told you not to go back in, didn't I? But you were on the phone and I had to wash my knees. You just took a shower. Everybody in the world's been taking a shower. I forgot to scrub my knees, and I couldn't go to school the very first day if I didn't scrub my knees, could I? All right, Kathy, just let me in there. Don't they look better now, Daddy? They're gorgeous. Now, may I please get into the bathroom? Jim! Oh. What is it, dear? Elizabeth says she's awfully sorry, but Hector ran into the back of a truck, and their car won't be out of the garage until Friday. That's great. Good old Hector. Good old reliable Hector. Uh, do you want me to call the Hathaways? They have an extra little car. Dad. What did they say, bud? Mr. Phillips had to go downtown early, and he took the car with him. Oh, fine. And Mrs. Phillips says she doesn't think Mr. Phillips would let you take it to the Grand Canyon anyway on account of one of the windshield wipers doesn't work. <laughs> makes as much sense as anything else that's happened today. Daddy, you said you were going to take me to school. Kathy, this is no time to annoy your father. But he said... It's all right, Margaret. I don't care. The way things have been going this morning, my mind is absolutely numb anyway. Dad... Two months, two whole months, getting Butler lined up for the kill, and then a thing like this has to happen. Dad... Fine bunch of friends we have. The windshield wiper doesn't work. Hector ran into the back of a truck. Dad... Jim, I'm sure he didn't do it intentionally. 
No, but if he wanted to borrow a car, you can bet your bottom dollar there'd be nothing the matter with ours. Dad. But don't you ever keep still? I want to ask you something. Well, go ahead. Don't just stand there. Why don't you use our car? <laughs> but... Just a minute, Margaret. I'll be glad to tell him. It seems, Bud, that you have a sister who hasn't sense enough to come in out of the rain. I didn't do anything. <laughs> she left the car downtown with the keys under the mat. Oh, that one. And as a result, we don't have a car. Sure we do. Bud, the car has been stolen. No, it hasn't, Dad. It's out in front of the house. I went downtown and got it. Oh, no! <laughs> A mere 15 minutes have gone by, but things in Springfield are pretty much under control, so far as Jim Anderson is concerned, at any rate. With his hands firmly on the steering wheel of his car, only two things remain between father and his business appointment. Kathy's delivery to school and a 28-mile drive to Plainfield. He'll be a little late, but he isn't too worried. As a matter of fact, he isn't worried at all, like this. Daddy? Yes, Kathy? Why does everybody have to go to school? Is it that important? Of course it's important. It's practically the most important thing in your whole life. Why? Because, Kathy, if you don't go to school, you don't learn anything. And if you don't learn anything, you aren't prepared for the problems you meet later in life. What kind of problems? Oh, all kinds of problems. Like, uh, well, like how to answer the questions your children keep throwing at you. <laughs> Things like that. It's very important. Daddy. Now what? Why is everybody so worried about the schools in Springfield? Well, they aren't worried, Kathy. Not if they're sound, public-spirited citizens. They realize that worrying doesn't do any good. It's action that counts. They know that better schools make better communities, and good citizens everywhere are helping to make our school system the finest in the world. That's pretty hard to do. Why? Well, it's uh, on account of the last war, honey. During the war, we couldn't build enough schools or train enough teachers. So now we have overcrowded classrooms and a shortage of qualified instructors for the lower grades. What's that? Teachers. Oh. Yes, sir. If more young men and women would train to teach in the elementary schools, they'd find a wonderful career ahead of them. And they'd be helping to build a better country for all of us at the same time. They would? They certainly would. Well, then I changed my mind. When I grow up, I'm going to be a teacher. And somebody else can be a lady wrestler. <laughs> That's a very good idea Ye gods, now what did I do? He wants you to pull over to the curb I don't know what he wants I wasn't going too fast, was I? I don't know I was going 25 miles an hour, remember that All right, Daddy and The light was green, wasn't it? Yes, Daddy It certainly was <clears throat> Hello, officer uh, Anything I can do for you? There may be one or two little things May I see your driver's license, please? Of course. Carry it right here in my wallet. Now, uh, right here in the, uh, officer, I was in such a hurry this morning that I left my wallet on the dresser. But I can assure you that I've been driving in Springfield... Could I uh, see your registration certificate? Or would that happen to be at home on the piano? 
<laughs> Officer, I have to be in Plainfield as close to nine o'clock as I can make it. And ever since I got up this Just morning... Just follow me, if you don't mind. But, Officer, if I don't get to Plain... Follow you? Where? We'll take a little trip down to the station house. And let's not try any tricks. Look, this is my daughter, and she'll tell you... We were going 25 miles an hour, and the light was green. That may be so, little lady. It may be so. But I just got a call from headquarters, and you're riding in a stolen car. Oh, no! again next week when we'll be back with Father Knows Best, starring Robert Young as Jim Anderson, with Roy Bargey and the Maxwell House Orchestra, and yours truly, Bill Foreman. So until next Thursday, good night and good luck from the makers of Maxwell House, America's favorite brand of coffee. Always good to the last drop. Father Knows Best was transcribed in Hollywood and written by Ed James. Now stay tuned in for Dragnet, which follows immediately over most of these stations. Three chimes mean good times on NBC. And that's Father Knows Best from September 14, 1950, with The Family Car is Stolen, starring Robert Young. Also in the cast, we had Norma Jean Nilsson, June Whitley, Herb Vigran, and Ted Donaldson with Bill Foreman doing the announcing. Bill Foreman, Lisa, the announcer on that was The Whistler on radio. That was sponsored by Maxwell House Coffee, is heard on NBC. Let's take a break, then it's more here on Hollywood 360. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Welcome back. This is Hollywood 360. I'm your host, Carl Amari. Lisa Wolf to my right, uh, my co-host uh, forever. Been like my I co-host know. forever. I mean, Feels it's like, like forever, though, gosh, right? Gosh, a long, uh, long, long time. I don't think there's very many people that can put up with no, this long. No, so. you have a very, you're very, very patient. Thank you. I, will, I think so, too. And you need to be a patient in a hospital, a mental hospital. Thanks, by yeah. Being my, That's what I was thinking, By too, being my yeah. co-host. All right, it's time for Mr. President was a radio drama series that ran on NBC from 1947 to 1953. Now, each half-hour episode was based on an incident in the life of one of the people who held the office of President of the United States. But the dialogue was written in such a way as not to reveal the name of the President until the last few lines of the program, when the President would be addressed by name. This gave the listeners a chance to guess throughout the program which President he was. Now, each week the President was played by Edward Arnold, with supporting performances by B. Benaderet, Gil Stratton, Hans Conry, Lorene Tuttle, Herb Butterfield, and many others. Very interesting series, Lisa. And we're going to give our listeners a chance to guess who this president is. Let's go back to May 15, 1949. Here's Edward Arnold in Part 1 of Mr. President. I did not come here to make a cabinet for the ladies of this place, but for the nation. Mr. President, starring Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer's Edward Arnold. Mr. President, at home in the White House, the elected leader of our people, our fellow citizen and neighbor. These are little-known stories of the men who have lived in the White House. 
dramatic, exciting events in their lives that you and I so rarely hear. True human stories of Mr. President. In a moment, we'll bring you Edward Arnold as the man in the White House. Many years ago, the president sat in a ladder-back cane-bottom chair and read reports written by young men whose wages he paid out of his own pocket. No telephones plagued him, and he could come and go as he pleased. Today, the president sits in an air-conditioned office, surrounded by telephones, dictating into a wire recorder. From the ladder-back chair to air conditioning, from then to now, many presidents have lived in the White House. Men of differing personalities, temperaments, and talents. Our Mr. President's job is to play them all, and he's done it. Yes, Edward Arnold has become the man in the White House. On the street, in stores, he's greeted with, Hello, Mr. President, we like the show, and we know you'll like it too. So here is Edward Arnold in today's story of Mr. President. The incidents I have in mind today tell the story of a president at one of the most unusual set of circumstances that ever took place in Washington. Later on, of course, I'll tell you which president this happened to. But meanwhile, you may be able to guess. The president sat by our bedside, his anxious eyes never leaving a face. He knew. Oh, yes, he knew. Darling, I'm so proud of you. So very proud, Mr. President. Oh, Rachel, Rachel. It is better this way. I'd never fit in the White House. It's a long way from the Hermitage, the White House. They're right about that. Who's right about that? Who's right? It's saying I'd attend your inauguration smoking at Cohen Club Pike. Did you know that? Oh, no, no. They've been saying terrible things about you and me, my dear. They, they? Who, who is this mysterious they? The ladies of Washington. The people who would have to receive me in their homes as the wife of the president. The people who would never receive me. Do you think I'd go any place that you are not welcome? They said I'd be a humiliation to you. A disgrace to the entire country when I went into the White House. I heard... It doesn't matter what you heard, my dear. You're my wife. I love you. I'm proud of you. I want you beside me when I take the oath. I'll be there. I'll be there in my own way. You're going to Washington with me. You can't die. I won't let you die. I won't let you die. Don't be unhappy. It's God's will, dear. I love you, Mr. President. Rachel. Oh, Rachel, don't leave me. Don't leave me. Are you all right, sir? The doctor's on his way. John, she's... She's... It's too late. Oh. I'm sorry, sir. Oh, Rachel, my wife, listen to me. It isn't true. You belong to me. My wife... My wife, I failed you so you... You'd be alive if it weren't for me. Don't, sir. You did everything possible. She wasn't well. Her own lack of strength caused her death. Don't you think it, John. Don't you think it for a moment. My wife died because I was elected president of the United States.
That's the first portion of Mr. President from 1949, starring Edward Arnold. Let's take a break. Then it's more on Hollywood 360. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Welcome back to Hollywood 360. I want to remind all of our listeners that we have a podcast of this radio show. So if you miss any of the program each week, because we air for four hours each week, and some stations do not carry all four hours, or maybe you're on vacation or missed it or fell asleep or Lisa put you to sleep because, you know... I won't say why, but you never know. And if you missed any of this show, just go to Hollywood360radio.com. We have the full four-hour podcast up there, plus a bonus hour of classic radio. And make sure you check out our store and all the fun things at our website. Once again, Hollywood360radio.com. Okay, let's tune in now to the conclusion of Mr. President. Your guests are waiting for you at dinner. Hmm? Uh, oh, what's you, Peggy? John is entertaining them. He asked me to come find you. Oh, I was just sitting here by a grave. Oh, it's cool out here. Yes, she loved a night like this. She'd bundled up and hike for miles across this countryside. And then she'd come back glowing. Maybe other people didn't think she was beautiful. I don't know. To me, she was the most glorious woman that ever lived. She was lovely. <clears throat> Peggy, are you going to marry John? I... I don't know. Well, he wants to marry you. Peggy, John Eaton's one of my closest friends. He stood by me like a rock all through this campaign. There isn't a finer, more loyal man in the world than John Eaton. I know. But there's his career to think of. What does his career have to do with his marrying you? Oh, there's been so much talk about us already. Talk? Talk? What kind of talk? John was one of my husband's best friends. Naturally, when Mr. Timberlake was away at sea, John would come to call and, and see that my daughters and I were getting on all right. All of Washington made the most of that. Now, since my husband's death, it, there's been more and more talk about John Eaton and me. I've told him repeatedly he shouldn't even call, but... Oh, talk, talk, slam the gossip rumors. How many lives are these wagging tongues going to be allowed to ruin? How many more are they going to be permitted to murder? Peggy, believe me, the most successful career in politics is no recompense for... at all for losing the woman one loves. You saw what gossip did to Rachel and me. John stuck by me all through that. Don't let it wreck your life and his too. Don't worry about his career in Washington. I'll take care of that. Well, Peggy, what are you saying? What can I say but yes and thank you, Mr. President. Well, sir, speak up, speak up. Well, General, it's uh, not easy to tell you, sir, but uh, the Tennessee delegation has appointed me spokesman and uh, was something they felt ought to be taken up before any announcements went out and... Uh, after all, your inauguration is so close, and announcements will be going out. My dear Colonel, I wish uh, you would state your business and stop all this hemming and hawing. Oh, well, well, sir, the, the fact is the, the Tennessee delegation and a good many other people in Washington feel that, uh, that uh, it'd be most, uh, most gratifying to them if uh, you could see your way clear to granting 
May I have that glass of water, please? Well, of course you could have a glass of water, Colonel. Oh, thank you, sir. Well, you didn't have to go to all that trouble to get a glass of water, Colonel. Uh, Why, well, wasn't a glass of water I come about, so the, the people wanted me to ask you if you'd consider if it'd be all right if, if, uh, if it's all right to sit down, sir. Why, I should say so. The people can sit down whenever they want to sit down, sir. Oh, no. Well, that isn't what I meant, sir. Oh. I just want to sit down because my knees... They... What? Don't seem to be all they should be today. Oh. Well, why don't you see a doctor, Colonel? Oh, it isn't anything serious. My knees get this way every once in a while. Oh, well, I'm not inferring you should see a doctor about your knees, Colonel. Just about your cold feet. (laughs) Very funny, sir. Oh, now come out with it, man. What did you come to see me about? Well, the the Tennessee delegation would like to suggest, sir, that you... You see, there are certain rumors to the fact that he's to be included, and they would like to respectfully suggest that he's excluded from your cabinet. Who? Mr. Eaton, sir. And just what does the Tennessee delegation find wrong with Mr. Eaton? Well, as a matter of fact, sir, there's no actual drawback to Mr. Eaton's presence. The drawback is entirely Mrs. Eaton. Mrs. Eaton? Uh, Sir, I am warning you, Mrs. Eaton will never be accepted into Washington. Why, even ignoring the presence of any scandal, her background's hardly much of a recommendation. Her father is an Irish innkeeper. And my mother was an Irish housekeeper. Uh, My mother had to work in someone else's house to support us. I never realized that was a drawback in America. Shall I speak openly, sir? Say anything you've got to say. Uh, Mrs. Eaton was seen far too often in the company of Mr. Eaton while her former husband was alive to make her acceptable to the ladies in Washington. Is a woman not permitted to have a man as a friend without other women suspecting the worst? Sir, I am forced to tell you that Mrs. Eaton will not be received in any official homes in Washington, and none of the ladies will call on her. Well, Colonel, you may tell the ladies that I am not picking a cabinet for their personal pleasure. I am picking a cabinet to run the country. I've never asked a woman yet how to run a campaign, and I'm a little too old to start learning new tricks. I warn you, sir... This may turn into a battle. Good. I like battles, Colonel. And if you care to read a little American history, you'll see that I know how to win them, too. John Eaton will be my Secretary of War. Van Buren, I declare I haven't listened to such wit in months. I'm sure this is the gayest inauguration party the White House has ever seen. And I'm sure you're the most beautiful woman that has ever graced a White House party, Mrs. Eaton. <laughs> He's right about that, darling. Oh, now stop, both of you. You'll turn my head so far, I'll never get it back to normal. Well, this is a merry little group. Oh, good evening, Mr. President. Congratulations. Thank you, my dear. Are you enjoying yourself? Oh, heavens, yes. I've been cut dead by some of the best people in Washington tonight. Only by the ladies, darling. Not by the man. Don't let it disturb you, my dear. Disturb me, Mr. President. (laughs) I love a good fracas just as much as you do. These languishing blue bloods will find out what it is to do battle with some red blooded people. (laughs) Hello, Irish. (laughs) Hello, Irish yourself. Uh, We'll show them. We'll show them. Incidentally, Peggy, have you talked with my niece, Emily, tonight? Uh, No, but she's been busy with a party this size on her hands. Emily should make a charming first lady for you, Mr. President. Yes, I'm very fond of Emily. My nephew made a good match when she accepted him. Mrs. Eaton, I'm going to give a ball in a few weeks. And since I'm a bachelor, I wonder if you'd help me plan it. Oh, Mr. Van Buren, you're very kind, and I do appreciate the invitation. But 
You're choosing a most unpopular hostess. It's customary, Mrs. Eaton, during any sort of contest, for a man to choose his side. So, will you do me the honor? In that case, thank you, Mr. Van Buren. I shall be most honored. Thank you, Martin. That's a very nice gesture on your part. It isn't a gesture, Mr. President. It's a pleasure. Uh, will you excuse me a moment? I, I want to speak to Emily. Of course, Mr. President. How do you do? How are you? It's nice to see you. Oh, uh, Emily. Oh, I wondered where you disappeared to, Mr. President. Emily, have you spoken to Mrs. Eaton this evening? No, I haven't. Do you intend to? No. And why not? Have you any idea of the things that are said about her? You surely wouldn't expect me to recognize a woman of her reputation. Mrs. Eaton is one of my close friends, Emily. If you and my nephew wish to remain in the White House, I expect my friends to be treated with courtesy. If you don't care to do that, then you'd better think about returning home to Tennessee. I'll return to Tennessee before I'll associate with Mrs. Eaton. That, of course, is up to you. You don't mean that. You wouldn't turn down your own family for a woman like that. I expect loyalty from my family as well as my friends. Good night, Emily. Oh, Martin, uh, may I speak to you a moment, please? Of course, sir. Uh, Here in this room. Martin, I've been thinking a lot about Peggy's position and John's here in Washington. Have any of the ladies returned her calls? Not many, Mr. President. Which of the cabinet members' wives are against her? Mrs. Branch, Mrs. Ingham, Mrs. Berrien. Martin, what can we do? How can we combat this? Well, sir, I can see that Mrs. Eaton is accepted by some of the prominent foreign ministers, Sir Charles Vaughan, Baron Crudner, that will help. Well, if I don't accomplish anything else in my term in office, I'll solve this Eaton affair. I'm doing something about all the gossip, at any rate. What are you doing, sir? I've sent out detectives to track down every single private piece of scandal. Every rumor, every insinuation, every innuendo. Each one is going to be tracked to its source and proven or disproven. I've put the best detectives in the country on it. But do you think that'll do any good, Mr. Burke? It certainly will. When I have the reports back from the detectives, I'm going to call a cabinet meeting. A cabinet meeting about Peggy Eden? Yes, sir. I'm going to treat this whole issue as a national problem. But, sir... We're going to have a cabinet meeting about Peggy's character. Gentlemen of the cabinet... I have called this meeting for the purpose of discussing the character of Mrs. John Eaton. There are certain individuals who have taken upon themselves to pass on various comments about her. I have examined every one of those comments, tracked them to their source, and had affidavits taken from the people interviewed. I have here some 90-odd pages on Mrs. Eaton. You will find, after study of this document, that she is above reproach. Now mark this, and mark it well. An indignity to Major Eaton is an indignity to me. If you are not prepared to work in harmony with him, I am prepared to accept your resignations. You probably guessed who the president was when all this happened. It really did happen, you know, in Washington just a few years ago. The gentlemen of the cabinet protested their innocence. They were the last people in the world who would want to harm Major Eaton and his family. They did not accept the invitation to resign, and the president walked out, satisfied that he had solved the Peggy Eaton problem. But the war was far from won. Do you mean 
mean to sit there and tell me that he actually suggested that the cabinet resign? That's exactly what I mean to sit here and tell you. Oh, oh, that Eaton woman. She's upset the entire cabinet. I told you almost two years ago about her, didn't I? Yeah, and on the whole, I really wish you hadn't. Eaton and Van Buren are the only members of the cabinet who seem to have the president's confidence. I think it's a perfect disgrace the way Van Buren has taken up with Mrs. Eaton. And we ladies intend to do something about him, too. Don't you think for a moment we don't? Why don't you ladies content yourself with just being ladies for a change? Huh? Peggy Eaton's presence in Washington's social life is an insult to every gentlewoman in Washington. We do not intend to rest until both Martin Van Buren and John Eaton have resigned. And that woman has left this town. Oh. Are you going to let her leave? I thought you were going to have her burned at the stake. Well, really? Now, look. The old man feels pretty strongly about this Eaton business. Why don't you forget about it before you get me painted into a corner where I'll either have to resign or be fired. The president has made it perfectly clear he can get along without anyone who doesn't like Eaton. Ah, that's only a bluff. Eaton and Van Buren will go. We cabinet ladies have been having meetings about it. You'll see. The president will soon find out which way the wind blows. Well, that Mrs. Eaton really is a stunning-looking woman. <gasps> You too? If you're about to say Brutus, I wish I had the courage. Uh, John. Yes, Mr. President? I'm having a cabinet dinner next week, and I want Peggy in the seat of honor at my right. But, Mr. President, that's going pretty far, do you think? That's... I am the President of the United States, Mr. Eaton, and while I am the President of the United States, I will choose who sits at my right hand. And if they want to impeach me for it, let them try it. Is Peggy all right, Martin? Yes, she's over there talking to the foreign minister. Oh, yes. Well, it was a good dinner, wasn't it? Did you see the expressions on the soul crows when I led Peggy in? We'll see who's boss around this town now. Oh, uh, Mr. President, my husband has gone to get my wraps. We're leaving. Oh, really? Well, I hope you had a pleasant evening. Excuse me, won't you? Good night. Oh. Mr. Van Buren, I'm amazed to see a man in the White House who cares so little for public opinion. And I'm astounded to see you and Mr. Eaton, who profess to be friends of the president, permitting him to commit political suicide by his association with the two of you. My dear woman, you're speaking to me as though I were a child. My dear Mr. Van Buren, I am, and you are. I suggest you take a little pains to find out just what people are saying about you and Mrs. Eaton. And the president and Mrs. Eaton. <laughs> Sorry to tell you this, Mr. President, but it is what people are saying, and it is best that you know. They actually have the gall to suggest that I, that Mrs. Eaton and I... Yes, Mr. President. Is there no limit to the lies that they will fabricate and spread? If there is none, how far do you intend to carry this one? I'll carry it until I win it, sir. Even though it is the end of my political career and the end of my administration. I'll not give up. But, Mr. President, when people become a liability rather than an asset, no matter how much you like them, there is only one answer. Well, I know who the liabilities are, Mr. Van Buren. I wonder if you do, sir. I wonder if you do.
sitting here alone in the dark? Oh, thinking, John. What about, darling? About what a crazy world it is. Mm-hmm. I, um, I heard a story from one of the maids today about, well, about... About the president and you. Yes. I hoped you wouldn't hear it. Oh, John, we've got to do something. We can't let him sacrifice himself any further. This conflict can't be won. I realize that now. President's quite a man for a fight. This isn't a man's fight, John. No man can win it. And I realize now that no woman can win it either. Oh, I should never have married you. Don't say that. I found all the happiness a man could hope to find with a woman. With you. I'd rather have you than be a cabinet member. Well then, John. Yes, Peggy. Yes. John, Martin, you both look tired this evening. Well, uh, it's been a hard day. Yes, Washington. Certainly a divided camp these days. And Peggy and I seem to be the ones that have split it. And I seem to have become something of a controversy myself. Uh, Mr. President... I've been thinking things over very carefully, and I've come to the conclusion that I should resign from your cabinet. No, Martin, no. You know me very little if you think I will ever consent to the humiliation of a friend by my enemies. I'm the one who's going to resign, not you, Martin. John, I... Mr. President, it's the only solution. Peggy and I have talked it over, and... I won't hear of it. It's a complete admission of defeat on all your parts. Something bigger is at stake than admission of defeat, Mr. President. The reputation of a president, even the reputation of a country... While you're in office, your reputation is the government's reputation. Uh, it's difficult for an old soldier to lay down a sword, even when confronted with such irrefutable logic. I've brought with me a letter of resignation. I have a letter of resignation with me also, Mr. President. Well, you don't leave me much choice, do you? It's the only way, sir. If you go, I'll be hanged whether any of the rest of them will stay. Tomorrow I'm going to ask the resignation of everyone else in the cabinet. They've succeeded in scuttling the ship of state, and they're going right down with her. They may have won the battle, but they've lost the war. Well, John, I shall hope to give myself the privilege of calling on Peggy in a day or two, if we can arrange a time when the busybodies won't be at the keyholes. I can't tell you how very sorry I am about all that's happened. Oh, don't blame yourself, Peggy. Circumstances were against you. Of all the small, petty gossip that has surrounded you. Not one thing has been proved to your discredit. But I've hurt everyone who's tried to defend me. My husband, you, Mr. Van Buren... Oh, now, 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 don't feel that way. Your husband is very happy indeed to be... to be your husband. This will not hurt his career. You know, I have a good position in mind for him in the future. Hmm? An overseas post. Oh, thank you for that, sir. As for myself, you didn't hurt me because, Peggy, as much as I like and admire you, I I wasn't really fighting for you as much as I was fighting for her. I know that. But it doesn't make me any the less grateful. And as for Martin Van Buren, well, Peggy, I'm sending him overseas to be our minister to England and be... Of course, he became your champion. Martin Van Buren may one day be the president of the United States. But when he became your champion, I became his. Mr. President, I... I don't quite know what to say, except I... 
I love you very much. I returned the compliment, Mrs. Eden, to both you and your husband. We can't be friends anymore, you know, Mr. President, not publicly. As long as John and I are in Washington, we can't be friends. You know, one of these days, when I'm no longer president, we'll all be close again because in our hearts, my dear, we... We three will be friends as long as we live. Yes, of course we will. But until that time... Goodbye, Mr. President. Goodbye, Mrs. Eden. Well, you've probably figured out by now who I was when all that happened. It really did happen, you know, and you'll have the answer in just a moment. You know, all those ladies in Washington who thought you would be easy to manage should have remembered that nickname of yours, Old Hickory. Are you inferring I'm stubborn, Mr. Van Buren? Stubborn? Ho, ho. Mr. Van Buren. I just wish you could live to read what history will have to say about that stubbornness and about that period in American history when the President of the United States was Andrew Jackson. Andrew Jackson, who called a cabinet meeting to defend the reputation of Peggy Eaton, and who dismissed the entire cabinet save one, when John Eaton and Martin Van Buren felt it was necessary to resign. But years later, when old Hickory was no longer president, they were indeed reunited, and Peggy Eaton was beside him when he died. Be with us again next week, won't you, for another exciting story that happened in Washington a few years ago to Mr. President. Goodbye. Edward Arnold appeared by arrangement with Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer and can currently be seen in Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer's Technicolor musical Take Me Out to the Ball Game, starring Frank Sinatra, Esther Williams, and Gene Kelly. Mr. President was created by Robert G. Jennings. It was produced and directed by William T. Johnson. Today's story by Gene Holloway was based on incidents in the life of President Andrew Jackson. Be sure to listen again next week when the American Broadcasting Company and its affiliated stations bring you Edward Arnold with another interesting and factual story of Mr. President. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company. And that's Mr. President from May 15, 1949. The president was Andrew Jackson, and that starred Edward Arnold as heard on NBC. Hope you liked that. Let's uh, take a break. Then it's more on the Hollywood 360 Radio Network. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Are you a fan of classic radio? Shows like Abbott and Costello. What's the guy's name on first base? No, what is on second base? I'm not asking you who's on second. Who's on first? One base at a time. Well, the... Gunsmoke. I'm that man. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. Inner Sanctum. This is your host to welcome you in through the squeaking door. Fibber McGee and Molly. What day is this? Oh, no, let me see. This theory is our 15th wedding anniversary. And many more. As a thank you for listening to this show, we want to give you 10 of the best classic radio shows of all time absolutely free. Just log on to Hollywood360radio.com to get them today. You'll receive complete episodes of Sam Spade, Escape, Fibber McGee and Molly, Suspense, Abbott and Costello, Inner Sanctum, X-1, Gunsmoke, Our Miss Brooks, and Lights Out. Just log on to hollywood 360 radio and receive your 10 free classic radio shows today. That's Hollywood360radio.com. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. 
Welcome back to Hollywood 360. Lisa, tell us all about our Facebook page. Maybe you and Mike can do that. Um, it's Hollywood 360 Radio. We love to have you go there and like us and uh, give us suggestions. It's also a really good place to see what's uh, coming up on our schedule. Yeah. We have the whole schedule posted there. And there's also a bunch of pictures of uh, all Mike of our... Mike and Carl. Yeah, and, and also the people that send in their pictures of their uh, kitty cats. Yes, right? absolutely. Yeah, because if you send in a picture of you and your kitty cat, you'll be automatically entered into our drawing that once a month, Dan Jaffe, the CEO of Cat's Pride, comes in here and draws one lucky winner out of a hat. And that winner could be you. You'll win a year's supply of Cat's Pride kitty litter. And that's no small prize. It's a nice prize. No, it's fair. But if, you, if don't you don't want to send it to Facebook. You want right. to send it to Cat's Pride Photo at gmail.com along right. with your name, your cat's name, city, and state. Right. But the pictures appear on our Facebook page, so do send that in. All right. Next time here on Hollywood 360, it's my favorite detective, Boston Blackie. You won't want to miss that. Plus part one of Abbott and Costello. We'll see you next time.